Okay. Um, I was diagnosed with um, a condition referred to as epilepsy and everything. I've, I've talked about it quite a few times, and I just hit on yesterday. And I just saw an um, episode of Star Trek Discovery. Really phenomenal episode. One of the best ones that they've had yet. That uh, In it, they discover something. Uh, it's basically a temporal anomaly. Well... Temporal anomaly didn't look that much different than a um, a black hole from my perspective and everything, and uh, I started thinking, okay, you know, I, I did a little research on it, and um, I I don't know why I just started going down the uh, the process of um, starting to dig into the mind a little bit. Now Spock is is being introduced for the first time in the series and everything, and this one, um, rather than the traditional Spock, which is purely Vulcan and everything, um, Spock is uh, is um, half human, half Vulcan, and um, <laughs> it's really interesting how they are changing, you know, changing people's origin stories and everything, you know, through the uh, Star Trek universe and everything. So, hold on a second. Okay, um, as I was saying, um, Spock is depicted for the first time in this as being um, both human and uh, half folk and half human, and uh, I don't remember the story precisely and everything, but uh, he was all Vulcan in, in the other versions of Star Trek, so it's really interesting that they're having this little bit of a switch and everything. But uh, in any case, <laughs> dog's humping a little tall. <laughs> Uh, I started looking into, um, there's a couple of procedures um, that are responsible for analyzing the brain of somebody, particularly with a bineurologist and everything, whenever there's a, a problem with it uh, misfunctioning or with the person misfunctioning. Um, two procedures that I had regularly done, one was called an EEG, which stands for electroencephalogram, and the other one's uh, referred to as an MRI, which is magnetic resonant, resonance imaging. Um, the MRI works by bouncing uh, magnetism off of the uh, off of the brain to be, to create what's uh, essentially a map of the brain, a physical map of the brain, and uh, to t you know to discover um, deformities, um, any problems that might occur that actually might stand out through magnetism and everything. And um, the other one, electrical uh, encephalogram, encephalogram, is actually reading the um, the electrical signals that are stimulated within the brain, and um, it it's more or less responsible for reporting um, things that are not typical within. A, a brain, and um, that are actually occurring um, in an unusual fashion, everything in contrast to other brains that are similar to it. Now, the expectation for both of these is that there is a one-size-fits-all equation everything for brains, and in a general sense, that's actually not true. Um, this is something that Einstein demonstrated with his brain, and when they ended up doing a dissection of his brain, they found out that it was remarkably different than uh, most brains that are out there. So, you know, while these two technologies may adhere to and, and support, you know, the, um, let's say, 90 percent of the population or everything, maybe 80 percent, um, you know, 20 percent will have um, alterations, deformities is what, uh, what some might refer to it as. I wouldn't refer to it as such. I would actually just say they are different than the collective norm, you know, that's established and everything for the brain and the brain patterns and everything. So, in any case, um, the one thing I've actually always been curious about is the uh, is the separate lobes that exist within the brain. In par in particular, um, you know some of the, uh, the the stuff that I ended up taking back in 2010 2011, um, you know the nanotechnology that was actually messing with my brain and everything. Um, I didn't uh, hold on. Somebody's sending me a Facebook thing. 
what he sent for an image just now. That was weird. Okay, sorry for the the interruptions there. Um, I did get a new deck and everything tonight, uh, today. Um, I'm actually, it's going to be kind of interesting to uh, see how many I get. I didn't, uh, I've never really counted how many different uh, magic decks I get. But um, it really got me thinking last night, you know, about uh, different uh, concepts and everything. You know, and um, one of the big things for this game is it's going to be based on the discovery by this hacker. Um, that, uh, you know, that uh, time travel is real, and not only that, but um, that he... Or she. I can make it both. Uh, that's actually a good question. I will stick to strictly he and she's. But he or she will um, inevitably have... Um, stumble upon a what they believe to be a conspiracy. And um, one of the things I actually started thinking about last night, you know, for this uh, game, is um, I thought um, it would be kind of cool to take some of these um, viruses, and because they're uh, responsible for um, doing certain things and everything, you know, the whole thing is I don't want to leave a guidebook and everything, you know, um, or let people, I want people to actually come to their own conclusions, but I also want to put in definitive rules that the conclusions that they're coming into, you know, are, I've developed this in a specific particular way in order to, uh, to elicit the results that make it programmable, programmably predictable for me, you know, to be able to, um, allow you to go through a story that I create, you know, so inevitably, you know, it uh, the result will be a world, um, but depending on, that's actually what I started thinking last night, is if I actually approach this from a magic perspective and actually leverage the viruses that you can use um, as having a net result that, in a literal sense, creates and modifies the world temporally, um, and maybe that uh, that's the whole whole thing is the hacker um, comes across these hacking tools and everything that um, you know they they do things that no other viruses can do and he can't figure it out you know how the fuck do these viruses do what they do you know that's the whole question is and all of a sudden you know slowly but surely hopefully it starts dawning you know on this planner and everything you know that. Uh, that, you know, really what it's doing is that he launches a virus, it bypasses the firewall completely. And at that point, um, you know, it's, you know, there's no code inside of it that actually detail how it's done. All, you know, the, the goal is just basically to demonstrate to the, uh, you know, to the, to the user, you know, to the player, that it does do it. Now, I don't want them to see that this is actually causing a ripple effect in the world around them, and the cards are actually causing the generation, the procedural generation, in a predictable way of some of the environment and terrain around them. So that's actually kind of the fun part about this too. Is you know, as I'm as you're, the player starts uh, playing different viruses in order to infiltrate the equipment and everything, the things that they might choose and choose to use. Not only that, but choose but discover in the world around them and everything. Um, may be completely different than the person that's a, 
of the same person literally playing right next door in the next room. Might be. So that's actually what, uh, what I started thinking about. But uh, getting back to the whole brain and EEG, um, Spock is actually suffering um, kind of a problem with a flood of uh, words and a flood of thoughts going through his head and everything. And at the same time, um, the Star Trek Discovery actually discovers a temporal vortex. Now, the difference between a temporal vortex versus a black hole is a black hole is to a... Um, temporal vortex as digital is to analog. Um, you know, the analog equivalent of a black hole um, in the digital world is a temporal vortex, and each one um, is perceived differently based on the perceptual uh, frame of reference and everything by the individuals that are perceiving it and everything. You can actually tell where they're at within the universe. I mean, it could be simply looking at the same frickin' universe, um, but it's seeing the same universe from two very different perspectives and everything. One's analog and the other one's digital. Um, one isn't more accurate than the other one. They're just simply two different perspectives into the same world. So, in any case, um, it, it's just basically it's uh, the same thing that I keep saying, too. The map is not the terrain. Um, you know, the terrain is uh, an interpretation of the, or You know, the map is, a is an interpretation of that terrain. You know, but uh, it's, it's not the only interpretation it's possible for that terrain. So, you know, looking at it from a discovery perspective, they come across this temporal vortex, which in itself is a black hole and, you know, equivalent in my world. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I found it really interesting that at the same time this is occurring, um, they've got uh, another thing that's capable of being able to go across the galaxy instantaneously and, you know, it's um, more or less uh, they're having issues with, uh, Spock's having issues with these thoughts that are flooding through his mind and his mind is becoming disjointed or unseated. Unseated is what it comes down to. Well, um, you know, I find it really intriguing, you know, and uh, referencing back to, you know, to the epilepsy and everything, um, I, I just uh, started going through and uh, looking at um, specifics. Uh, they mentioned something about nonlinear temporal dynamics. And um, to me, what that means is basically you've got a whole set of events and everything that, um, you know, across different universes, that uh, if you were to look at this from a linear perspective, it wouldn't make any fucking sense whatsoever. Um, so to some degree, you have to order events, um, not in a chronological order, but uh, you just basically have to order events by the events themselves. You know, so in one universe, you can have one thing happen. In another universe, you could have another thing happen at the same time. You know, and let's take, for instance, you know, this black hole as a, a temporal anomaly. Um, you know, it's not referred to as a black hole in the digital world um, that's, that is discovery. It's referred to as a temporal vortex. You know, it, it's uh, relatively, you know, speaking, it's kind of referring to the same thing. Um, but this is a whole thing is, you know, that event uh, can actually be perceived, you know, from two separate lenses and everything um, as it perceived and interpreted as separate things and everything. So, you know, for me, this interpretation and everything, um, I've always, you know, really kind of like uh, wondered, you know, what what is time? Well, time is the individual, you know, this is a conclusion I've come down to. Time is the individual chronology that's actually formed based on events from a, from, from a temporally nonlinear perspective. So what that means is um, while the universe itself may have events that are actually occurring um, in a specific chronological way, and while most people 
may choose to live within the framework of a single chronologically oriented universe and everything. Not all, not all creatures do. Um, I'm one of those creatures, you know, that, uh, that lives in a temporally non-linear way, but I still build my own chron chronology relative to me. And uh, if you're to look at my mind, my brain from within the EEG, and to try to figure it out, well, one of the interesting things that I ended up uh, reading or um, going through was I saw a, um, I did a search for nonlinear dynamics, and I saw a reference to a psych psychology article, and uh, it discussed um, it. it discussed a reference to EEGs and um, that a temporally nonlinear, you know, method of acquiring information and everything, I started thinking, okay, well, you know, if, if the EEG is actually responsible for looking at the brain from electrical perspective across multiple potential universes and everything, um, you know, that could actually be one interesting thing. If you're looking at it from an MRI perspective for deformities and that kind of stuff, you know, that's only going to give you a part of the picture and everything, you know, based on the relativity to this uh, particular framework of, uh, of a world and everything. If you're going to be looking at it from an EEG perspective, you could be potentially seeing multiple signals and potentially even conflicting evidence of, of alternate... Um, of alternate uh, perceptual lenses and everything. Now I'm suspecting that what the EEG, EEG does is it attempts to keep in rough alignment a handful of different uh, versions of people and everything. And it, it, that's how it receives the separate signals and everything and keeps those contained within one linear perspective and one linear framework. Um, that's just an go ongoing theory, but uh, that's that's one possibility. Um, but the other possibility I ended up looking at when I ended up uh, do, doing a quick stroll through the EEG and actually looking at uh, their map of the brain, you know, it lists the brain regions and their functions. Um, they're really kind of like um, esoteric, um, a little bit more uh, evasive about what the temporal lobe actually does. And here's what it says about the temporal lobe. Um, this is of the brain. Um, hold on a second, somebody's here. So the other parts of the brain... Eh. So the other parts of the brain, they discuss the, you know, the functions that are pretty obvious, like the occipital lobe um, is a visual processing center, <laughs> center of the brain. Um, includes spatial relationships, you know, uh, color differentiation, and motor perception. Uh, it's located in the rearmost part of the skull, blah, blah, blah. Um, parietal lobe is all about integrating information stemming from external sources, so it's kind of like the, uh, the clearinghouse. Um, it receives sensory feedback from skeletal muscles, limbs, heads, eyes. Um, the hell is an otolith? It's first time I've ever seen that term. The ear. Interesting. Um, but to the temporal lobe, they're a little bit more uh, evasive about what it means. Is associated with processing sensory input to derived or higher meaning usual uh, using visual memories, language, and emotional association. Temporal cortex is responsible for long-term memory. Deep uh, temporal structures include the hippocampus. So they don't really get into what specifically the temporal lobe does. Um, it, it's to higher functions. You know, what the fuck does that mean? Let's ask it from an analytical perspective. What the fuck does that mean? You know, um, same thing holds true for meaning for usual vi using visual memories. Well, you know, so here's the thing. Temporal lobe, if you want to look 
look at this from a database perspective as a pointer. Um, in if you want to look at the brain from a a non-linear perspective and everything. Um, the Visual Processing Center for the Occipital Lobe doesn't just contain information for one version of reality, it contains versions of, uh, of um, information for all realities. So it's the Visual Processing Center of the Brain. Now the indication, the suggestion, the um, hint of this is in the use of uh, hallucinatory drugs and everything. You end up being able to access that information from other, um, other versions of of reality by basically causing a distortion um, in the in the exit in the in my feeling is um, the processing you know of the brain as a whole and everything and uh, you know through the ingestion of various different types of uh, of hallucinogenics you can actually access different parts of the brain and uh, you can actually see directly that the personalized individual experience and everything is very very different um, based on what you're accessing with the information that you're accessing accessing it with. Well, well, what the temporal lobe does is it's uh, it's to me is responsible for basically creating a correlation to this um, active reality. You know the uh, the perceptual um, frame of reference and everything for the observer, and um, is actually responsible for creating the chronological sequencing for this um, this per this particular perspective. Not just creating it, but also um, allowing alteration to it too. So it's my my suspicion that there's um, kind of like an underlying um, subconscious uh, mind that's detached from the physical body and everything. That you know, mind actually contains a whole slew of potential information. Um, then to, temporal lobe more or less contains pointers, if you will. Um, you know, if you want to refer to it from a programming perspective, or addresses, if you want to look at it from a housing perspective, of the physical locations um, or the the logical locations of these things in memory, which basically helps build the chronology and actually it helps rebuild the brain um, and or the individual perspective and everything in the case of um, well, any number of different things. So all I'm saying is, you know, let's say you're you've lived to the ripe age of 30, and uh, you've got a, a sequence of events that actually happen in a linea linear order. Well, all the various different parts of the brain are simply responsible for the processing of the of the information on a in a first in first out type basis and everything. So it's it's more or less processing things on a real time basis, where the temporal lobe um, and and other things actually have a tendency to store this information as well. And that's actually what causes the increase in brain mass and the, you know, ability for the brain to actually assume more information, be able to process information differently, etc., etc. Um, but the temporal lobe itself is actually what's directly responsible for basically saying, okay, now we have this particular person, this particular individual and everything, and uh, at this point we're, uh, we've got a reference and everything to information. That reference to information um, from a chronological sequence and everything is something I will maintain. That's what the temporal, uh, temporal lobe's responsibility is for. So they say here is associated with processing sensory input to derived or higher meaning meanings. Um, you know, I would partially agree with this. Um, 
it's associated with the processing of sensory inf input, um, absolutely, and it's uh, the temporal relation of this information is basically finding the relevant uh, relevant feedback mechanisms for the brain, and um, more or less basically saying, okay, you know, when I um, touch something that's that's um, hot. You know, um, a the unasked question: Have I learned from this uh, sequence and everything? B, you know, um, what is the typical response to this sequ sequence and everything? And at that point, it kind of issues a, the directive, you know, in a correlated fashion and everything that uh, causes a whole sequence of flashes throughout the brain that basically causes a reaction. Well, reactions are going to be different based on the individual, you know. So my brain and my brain functions and everything, in particular from my perspective from uh, from a chronology perspective, and uh, the temporal lobe functioning is going to be altogether different than, you know, my mom's and my dad's and my brother's than anybody else's and everything. So as a result, the temporal lobe will function differently based on the, uh, the individual perspective and everything, and also the individual uh, individual experiences that that person's un undergone and everything. So, you know, this the entire meaning and everything. Um, I I wouldn't. That's actually what, the part that I wouldn't agree with fully. Um, the higher meaning is more or less. I would actually go so far to say this is an association to the subconscious, and um, you know potentially. I mean, it's, I, it, temporal lobe at least with this thing says it's related to visual memories, language, and emotional association. Um, I wouldn't limit it there for, from sensory input. I would actually say the temporal lobe is actually responsible for all manners of synthesizing information everything from a chronological perspective so there there are in in my theory no real limitations to it it's just basically the only limitation is the amount of input stimulus and everything that can be received based on that individual and that individual um, certain individuals uh, don't have a sense of seeing or a sense of sight some don't have a, a sense of hearing you know some simply don't feel you know robots for instance you know have a tendency not to feel they may act in that kind of stuff but uh, it doesn't make them less sentient or anything like that, you know. And uh, you know, while they may look human and everything, it doesn't necessarily mean they are human, you know. But in a general sense. Um the temporal lobe is just basically responsible for um, the biggest overarching responsibility I, I'm assigning to the temporal lobe is basically the building of the chronological functions in association to the individual that's actually observing that reality. So with that said, um, there's uh, one thing I've always also thought about too was uh, going through this uh, the brain activity and everything is something called the frontal lobe. Now there's something that uh, a process that was done uh, was detailed in the, um, uh, was it uh, something orange? Um, Oh, there was one with Jack Nicholson in a movie about it, and uh, in the end he ends up getting a frontal lobotomy. And a frontal lobotomy is uh, is basically taking the frontal lobe out of the brain. And um, it's really kind of an interesting thought and idea and concept and everything. You know, and it's just like, why would they specifically target this region? And here's and here's what it says about the frontal lobe, and the front and this is actually with people with psychological issues, you know, so people that uh, might be deemed too deviant for society, people that might be deemed.
problematic, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it says here, the frontal lobe is the region where most of your conscious thoughts and decisions are made. Also, frontal cortex contains motor areas where voluntary movements of all, uh, of all limbs, eyes are controlled. You know, so the association here is that the conscious thoughts, your beliefs, your desires, your wants, your not wants, um, all of this are actually contained through, um, or routed, uh, not contained, routed through the frontal lobe. And it's really important that, uh, that you know, for me to understand the distinction between um, a, you know, between contained versus routed. The frontal lobe receives information from a an external mind, a consciousness, a um, a thought process and everything. And, and when that person or that entity becomes too deviant for society and everything, well, at that point, there's a tendency for, you know, this, that's why this process was done on a non-voluntary basis, you know, in the 60s and se up, up to the 70s, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, basically, it's a complete removal of the frontal lobe to basically make it so where people, um, you know, that uh, were detained, were uh, were referred to as societally inadequate or or problematic to the extent that those uh, that they were beyond repair, they would actually take out this and thus take out their quote unquote conscious thoughts and decision making capabilities and everything by re by literally removing the frontal lobe. You know, so uh, I, I find this uh, interesting. Clockwork Orange. That's of the movie and everything um and uh in the end uh, jack nicholson's you know literally has his frontal lobe ripped out and the guy's a slobbering idiot at that point um but uh you know so also the frontal lobe contains most of the dopamine sensitive neurons so things that are associated with pleasure and pain and uh that kind of stuff dopamine's associated directly to pleasure and pain and um it's actually why people get addicted and everything is uh it's through the uh through the use of uh dopamine and excessive use of dopamine and everything and this is highly be this is highly relevant to be aware of, since the dopamine system is responsible for any cognitive processes uh, associated with, and this is obvious, with reward, attention, short-term memory, planning, and motivation. Um, so. The neural activation and electrical fields, uh, but uh, anyways, you know, the reason I, I started looking into this was I wanted to understand a little bit more about these functions. You know, they've got something called positron emission tomography, is an invasive nuclear imaging technique based on gamma radiation. And this is something I had done a while ago. Um, they've also got something called a CAT scan too, and uh, all all of these methods are ways to to diagnose, um, in particular, the brain, but in other parts of the body to detect cancer and that kind of stuff as well. And um, each one of these is, is more or less responsible, you know, for painting what's considered a fuller picture of the mind and the brain and, and the linkage between the two. And uh, the, the whole concept here is, um, you know, when you have, you know, two basically different universes, you know, one's a digital, one's an analog. Um, and you have many potential digital copies of the, of the analog and everything that actually contribute to the, uh, to, or many potential... <gasps> pardon me, copies of the of the digital, um, of the analog world that's actually contained within the digital. And these copies are, are at all times, you know, causing a mutualized influence between each other. You know, so the analog influences the digitals, um, the digitals influence the analog. And uh, this relationship and everything has, from my perspective and everything, been destructive in nature. Um, that's why I'm here, is I'm hoping to actually make some changes to this and uh, potentially actually make people's lives better, including myself and everything.
you know, so, um, you know, and that's actually why I'm looking into this, too, is, you know, what exactly, you know, are, are the functions and everything that are occurring with an analog perspective and everything to understand the brain? Um, what can actually be done better, you know, from a constructionist perspective and everything for making the brain um, a little bit more pliant and a little bit more... Um, user-friendly, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and from there, you know, just basically the big thing for me is, is moving away, shifting away from labels of disability. Um, and in particular, um, you know, the whole concept of, um, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, um, EEGs, uh, multiple sclerosis, things that actually affect not just the brain, but also the body's nervous system because they are correlated and everything. And, uh, how is it you can actually go through and, uh, restructure the brain to some degree, reform it. And, uh, basically at the same time, be aware of the multidimensional influence of, uh, on the analog of the, of the potential alternate realities all. And it's not just limited to digital uh, copies. It's, it's all also, there's other ways of perceiving the universe and everything that we haven't even discovered yet. You know, we've just discovered two, you know, two primary methods. One's the analog and the other one's the digital, you know, and who knows how many different ways there are, are of perceiving it. We've already gotten an idea and sense that there's spiritual methods of, uh, of the, you know, perceiving it and everything of which, you know, it, it hasn't been rationally, you know, figured out at this point or anything like that, you know, not to any, you know, <laughs> binary methods and, and ways of uh, information accumulation or anything like that. Like that, you know, but um, what I'm trying to say is, you know, if you actually take all this, uh, all the stuff and everything, understand that the temporal lobe isn't just restricted to quote unquote higher uh, functions, which are kind of like, um, you know, don't ask questions here. You know, that's actually what it sounds like. It's more or less basically saying these higher functions are associated to a higher degree of the mind. I guess you can say that correlating that to the chronology for this this particular um, analytical world and this analytical world from this analytical and rational perspective and everything, the temporal lobe is responsible for basically leveraging this to be able to access memories in a specific chronological order. That way it makes sense from the individual's perception, the individual's perceptual frame of reference. You know, and the reason I'm saying that is um, my individual frame of reference and everything, thank you Einstein, could be substantially different than somebody else's. The way time moves for me, you know, relative to somebody else can be highly, highly different to somebody else. You know, and here's a for instance, you know, I mean, I'll see, um, I'll be watching, you know, Doctor Who. Well, you know, while it's at the same time, it's a fictional show, it's also not. It's also a depiction of something else happening in somebody else's reality. And I'm just basically watching that for my own entertainment and everything. Well, I've seen the eight billion years, you know, progress for time um, from, from their relative frame of reference and everything from a temporal chronological perspective. This doesn't mean, you know, that, uh, that my time of reference is, you know, from a, from a personal, individual, narcissistic perspective, it's absolute. You know, um, my time of reference and my ability to be able to make choices and everything um, usurp anything else's. I mean, that's just, you know, makes fundamental sense. And same thing is going to be true for you, and the same thing is going to, going to be true for anyone. You know, um, and this is without contradiction. You know, it, that's that's the hardest thing to grapple with mentally is understanding, you know, that uh, Einstein isn't anything more than a conceptual idea. It's not a rational analysis of V equals MC squared. That's basically a way for physics and mathematicians to understand, you know, that there's a little bit more out there to be understood, and, and hopefully you eventually get to the to the point of ask of actually asking the question, 
how the fuck did he come up with that equation if you're of an analytical mind you know it's you know there really isn't any rational construct for that equation coming into existence and everything without actually basically saying okay you know there's a little bit more to this universe than meets the eye and the more and more that you dive into computer simulations the more and more that you say you should start saying anyways um that uh that that the things referred to as constants and equations and everything are mutable by the programmer, but not everybody chooses to be a programmer. Most people actually just choose to exist in their reality and be happy with it. And that's fine. You know, that's the way I look at it. You know, but um, to some degree, you know, it's just like it's in careful balance, right? So anyways, these functions, the EEG and all these different things and everything are, um, they're detailing a multidimensional entity known as the brain, um, or as the mind. Um, the um, individual chronological manifestation of that um, entity in this point of space and time and everything known as the brain. And uh, it, at that point, is keeping chronological reference to the temporal lobe specifically contained within that brain. Now, you know, and that for me is just, you know, pretty much it. Anyways, I just want to detail, you know, at least um, my perspe perspective. As far as epilepsy is concerned and everything, um, what happens to me from my f personal frame of reference and everything, you know, um, it may appear, particularly for somebody that is insistent, that all brains um, act and react and function in a particular manner that's always consistent and everything. Um, you know, a multidimensional mind, uh, once something actually actively recognizes it, will appear to function differently and everything. You know, to non, uh, to more linear, linearly oriented brains that uh, that function with a, an expectation of a certain chronological order and everything. Um, you know, with my my desire to fit in, that uh, that made it so where I actually had to go through the process of self-diagnostics. I had to actually figure out why is it um, I'm being labeled externally by something, you know, and um, I don't want to have an element. I don't want to not fit in, you know. So once I started going through that process, I actually had to understand my brain a little bit better and understand what was happening around me with the reality. And at that point, you know, come to a resolution that basically balanced, you know, the needs of, of me, you know, with the needs of those around me and uh, more or less try to actually find a, a an amenable solution you know to the problem you know of the organization of chronology in my mind and that basically comes down to you know the whole concept of relativity you know other people and that's actually the the end result epilepsy is nothing more than people from a relativity perspective perceiving things happening to me in a way that doesn't uh, doesn't fit their full um, idea notion of uh, predictability um, you know because chronology and time moves differently for them relative to whatever whatever framework that they're within um, in contrast to me now I'm not saying that I'm always out of uh, out of um, alignment, you know, with um, the collective framework of time and everything, you know, but when it very, very clearly works against me and becomes problematic, yes, I do separate out from it. And um, that's kind of, you know, when I discover who I am, you know, and um, why I do that separation. So... In any case, um, I'm going to take some of these concepts and everything and apply, you know, the whole idea. I'm trying to create a time-traveling 
um, discovery game, hackers game and everything with this Watch Dogs 5. And, uh, you know, the, the ideas take, you know, common hacking notions, you know, from a the basic TCP IP uh, based hacking and everything, um, and also other concepts of hacking uh, from different perspectives, such as marketing and, you know, the conspiracy theories and that kind of stuff. And the goal isn't to, you know, Marcus is um, in Watch Dogs 2 is a wonderful, wonderfully flamboyant character, but he's also a drone. He's very, very much led by this belief, you know, that uh, everything that uh, that he doesn't control is evil. Well, I mean, in particular, the organizations that uh, that are big, that appear to be led by people that doesn't don't have his uh, concerns, you know, in in mind, you know. So if he can't control them, you know, to him, they're they're something that he very very quickly labels as being, you know, the demons or the evil things in the life and everything, and he feels completely justified use, with using any kind of force that he wants to in order to basically, you know, get what he wants. You know, he steals. He, you know, he um, in this game, Watch Dogs 2, he steals. He terrorizes. He blows up. He does all this nasty shit and everything to people. You know, and sure, I'm playing the character from an avatar perspective and everything, and I may be, may be complicit in these you know, in in his actions and everything, but the fact of the matter is he's still ultimately responsible for what he does. You know, so you know, in the end, it's just like, you know, he's he's a victim of a society that he's created and that society does nothing but mirror him. You know, these people that uh, he perceives as being bad and everything, they're doing exactly what he does. You know, so if he actually doesn't try to, try to, you know, I mean, he he's got the opportunity here to to be a, a wonderful figure, you know, a wonderful um, presence and everything. But instead, he takes the technology that he has access to and everything, and he he makes it a fact to actually tear things down. He steals cars, you know. He, you know, on a regular basis, it's like Grand Theft Auto. You know, it's only only the same thing. You know, um, I made sure that uh, he he donated in the ATM and everything. Everything, you know, to everybody, regardless of how much of an asshole they were, you know. Well, for me, it was like me sending a message to the dude. Hey, dude, you know, if we're gonna hack, I want to actually, you know, if I if I've got the capabilities to be able to um, do things, you know, through your character and everything that are actually positive for other people, well, you bet your ass I'm gonna do it, you know. And uh, I'm not given that many opportunities to do good things for other people and everything, leveraging the restrictions of the uh, character development uh, based on this avatar and everything. You know, so, and that's the unfortunate part. I mean, all I'm left with is basically blow up steam pipes and everything in this game um, to, you know, hack into other people's systems and the, uh, and the DLC and the uh, these things. Uh, inevitably, um, sure, I can get in in a stealth mode, but inevitably it ends up uh, making somebody uh, paint, you know, smearing somebody else or making somebody else look like shit and everything, all to, uh, all to satiate his ego. You know, so the way I look at it is it's just like, okay, you know, I'm going to take the design notes and, and the considerations and everything from Watch Dogs 2 and say, hey, it's a wonderful presence, it's a wonderful idea, and um, but I'm going to take control of this, uh, this entire thing and say, you know what, I like the idea of having a game that's a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more secretive about what it does, you know, uh, and uh, a little bit more of a hacker's game for hackers. You know, I want to teach people about time travel. I want to teach people about methods of uh, time manipulation. Some of the things that I've actually observed in, directly in my lifetime and everything that people regularly, you know, have had a tendency to dismiss and everything is fiction. 
I'm okay with it being dismissed as fiction. I'm okay with being labeled with the disability and everything. To some degree, that's actually made me who I am. You know, but there there came that point about seven years ago where I have I have the scars on my wrist to basically say, you know what, something pushed me to a point. You know, maybe that thing was me. But the fact of the matter is, um, I don't think everybody should have to go through what I went through. I I don't believe they should have to. You know, um, I mean, maybe it's a choice. You know, but uh, the game that I'm creating, you know, the goal is to basically create a rich world and everything that, that could potentially evolve into any different kind of world based on the decisions that you make in the game. So one thing I'm actually having a difficult time trying to think about, just because of the stimulation I've had with Watch Dogs 1 and Watch Dogs 2, is um, besides giving people money and everything, how can I actually make people's lives easier leveraging hacking tools? Um, so hopefully, as I uh, ponder this, as I'm working out and everything, I'm going to go pick up my mom in a couple of minutes and everything. Um, hopefully, as I'm pondering this, I'm going to go through these cards tonight and everything and maybe come up with some ideas for um, hacking that can actually be implemented within Watch Dogs 5 and everything that can actually be proactive and help people. You know, maybe to some degree, the, uh, the amount of followers that you get um, could also be something that's worked at the same time. And, um, you know, maybe there's uh, there's... Maybe I implement a, a karma system that's transparent to you, or that's not transparent to you, that you don't see. I don't know. I'm uh, definitely something to think about, but uh, I'm going to start refocusing the efforts and the ideas and everything to go down that route and also take into consideration the functions of the brain. And um, also, I'm wondering if I should open up certain characters' capabilities and everything. Maybe I could do that, too. Open up certain characters' capabilities based on your playstyle. I mean, I know it's ineffective and everything with Watch Dogs 2. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter how I play it. I've only got the same things ever opened up to me. You know, so the first time I played through, I played through stealth and everything, making an effort to, you know, never kill anybody. Then all of a sudden, now I just started playing. It's just like, you know, fuck this. I'm interested in making it through the missions. It's my second playthrough. And uh, I'm just making it, you know, just zooming through with the goal of just basically doing it as fast as possible. Um, so I go in and, you know, just pit people against each other and, you know, just more interested in finishing it than I am and uh, also seeing where things progress to and everything. But, you know, so for me, it's just like, okay, you know, what can I do in a game and everything that lets you evolve and alter your character, you know, as you're playing? I don't know. And uh, what can I make obvious to you? And what can I make, uh, you know, not so obvious that I'm actually keeping record of behind the scenes? You know, um, the whole idea of karma and the soul and that kind of stuff and everything. Maybe I could implement um, implement ideas and notions of this behind the scenes and everything. I don't know. It's a thought. It's an idea. So, anyways, I'm uh, I'm done for now. I'm going to be back. I've got, to, like I said, a new deck of cards and everything that uh, um, I'm going to be going through eight cards altogether. And uh, there are some interesting cards there. But uh, I'll return in a little bit. Okay, I'm going to continue this and uh, just do a little bit more of um, an experiment with the uh, thinking processes here. Now, before I was thinking specifically when I ended up getting a new deck um, about uh, time travel or about I'm hacking, um, this time I'm actually uh, just saying, you know what, if I can actually... One of the things I, I don't like about uh, a lot of TV shows is it depicts time travel from a single-oriented perspective and... Um, it's it's the type of thing where it, it it's almost like it portrays a one size fits all equation for everybody. And for me, 
from my perspective while I have a linear frame of reference and everything. Um, how I obtain that linear frame of reference, um, if someone was, what else was to observe it, could be fucking anything. Um, if uh, you were to actually look at life through my eyes, which really isn't possible, um, at least I can't imagine it being possible. Um, it, no matter how advanced technology got, uh, it just couldn't happen. Uh, if um, when it comes down to it, every every perspective that I see into other people's lives depicts time differently and the flow of time differently. But a lot of shows that depict time travel have a tendency to maintain the same kind of traje trajectory. And uh, not only that, but time, they're more or less the victim of time and not necessarily the owner of time. And there's a rare exception to this, and the rare exception is really uh, Doctor Who. Uh, and that's actually why I like Doctor Who so much, is this character that uh, has gone on since 1963 that has consistently um, leveraged time travel as a, uh, as a device to enjoy life, to experience things, to go tour, to go check shit out, to, to pick up people and, you know, bring around males, females, whatever, companions, and take them on journeys across time and uh, across space. And um, Q, you know, in my opinion, had the same capacity and capabilities, but that just never seemed to happen. And uh, this just led me to believe that there was something going on with Q that was a little bit different than what was going on with Doctor Who, because Doctor Who actually just seemed like he was having fun with time travel. And Q just seemed, I don't know, it just seemed like there was more going on there. So, with that said, um, hold on a second. Um, I ended up getting another deck of cards today, and, uh, this time it was eight cards. Um, didn't get a wild card, and, uh, what I'm gonna do is, uh, just start trying to exercise the noggin and think about the cards from... You know, two perspectives. One is definitely... Oh, jeez, did I lose it? No, tell me I didn't lose it. No, I didn't. There it is. Whew. Okay. So, um, I'm just going to run through this real quick and try and think about it from a, a perspective of can I think about time a little bit differently? So, and, uh, and especially if... Yeah, that's actually, I'll just, I'm going to approach it just flat out with this idea that I'm going to be working with time rather than computers. So, first one is Resolute Watchdog, his Defender. So, actually, yeah, this is a great idea. I like it already. So, Resolute Watchdog is a hound. And uh, let's say I've got the capability to manage my own timeline. And with this, I've got a creature I create called a Hound, a Resolute Watchdog, and it's a defender. It's a 1-3 defender that will block the progress of anything that, I, that attempts to actually make changes to a particular point in space and time. Ah, this is wonderful. 
And um, should you try to make changes in, in space and time and everything, this one's a relatively um, low-cost one. He will... He's a 1-3, so he's basically got one attack, three health. And uh, he's, he's just more his job is to is just sit there and not necessarily attack, but just to defend. To defend against alterations and that kind of stuff. So... I'm trying to think about a real-world analogy. So let's say you're a time traveler, and um, you're trying to make a change, you know, to... Um, you've traveled back to JFK or something like that. And uh, this thing um, will, more or less, sense that you're doing and may manifest itself in the real world and prevent you from making a change. You know, so let's say you're um, going up and you're actually trying to, you know, stop, uh, what do you believe, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald. Well, if you're trying to prevent Lee Harvey Oswald from making changes, you know, to, or actually killing the president, uh, you know, JFK, well, at that point, the resolute, resolute watchdog might actually hop out from behind a, a fence or something like that, or behind a corner, and all of a sudden will literally prevent you from proceeding and everything until you find a way to deal with this dog. So, yeah, that's actually, so that's, see, this is actually a better, I think this is a healthier way of thinking about time, too. You know, that there's going to be certain mechanisms that are going to be put in place that will actually prevent things, but it'll appear naturally based, you know, so it's a tangible mechanism that that may see, seem random, but they're not random. They're really, they're things that are more or less safeguards to prevent the alteration to timelines and that kind of stuff. So, another one's called the Frilled Mystic. Frilled Mystic is a um, two green, two blue card, and he's a creature. It's an alpha wizard. The other one's a creature hound. This one's an elf alpha lizard wizard and uh, it has two capabilities so it's got flash it's a three two so it's a stronger attack creature than it is a uh, and it's a two uh, two health and I know I'll, I should be doing this from a hacking perspective but I just wanted to take a little different exercise because I got uh, cards last night too and just wanted to toy with this idea and concept of applying it to time rather than hacking so flash um, it has the capability to instantly appear when you actually try to do something. So let's say, you know, unlike the Resolute Watchdog, which, you know, you you see the thing well in advance and everything, this guy, you know, the Elf Lizard Wizard and everything, you know, maybe teleports in or finds a, a special weird way to actually present itself and uh, that you know, normally it, other creatures couldn't and everything. So, you know, or the Resolute Watchdog, you see this thing, you know, from 50 miles out and everything, you know, and you can actually plan your attack accordingly. The Frilled, Myst the Frilled Mystic will jump in right before you're trying to achieve what you're doing. So let's say in this case we're referring to the opponent. Um, what it is that you're trying to do is basically a static event in time. And uh, going back to yesterday's conversation, I have two two different uh, timelines that I'm basically uh, planning at this point, um, and um, I'm actually I, I'm trying to noodle on a third at this point too, and uh, 
So the two primary timelines. You know what? Let's just say there's a third that's already formed itself. A three primary. Well, shit, we've got a couple more primaries. Got the Marvel universe. You got the DC universe. You got, um, you got the um, you know Star Trek universe. Now these universes have presented themselves, you know, as already being there and persistent. So I'm talking about creating this new one. And this new one, you know, let's say I'm actually trying to create a timeline and everything, you know, where you know more or less it's you know nudity and and sex is something that happens, and you know you can walk down the street and the street and ask a girl for a blowjob, and she quite likely do it just because that's the culture. Um, you know, unlike our, our culture, where the girl probably slap you and everything, the difference culturally, you know, is this is something that's uh, more, not just acceptable, but it's kind of like practice because they're very, you know, competition and everything, kind of like, you know, it's something big over there. So, in any case, um, I'm eating this wonderful sorbet. It's a uh, mango sorbet. My mom didn't like it, but I'm, I'm digging it. So, anyways, um, Flash. Flash is a mechanism in in magic that uh, lets something instantly appear, um, and you can't really plan for it happening. You know, you might be able to after the first time it happens, but chances are after you've dealt with an event, um, it won't happen again the same way. You know, so that's actually one mechanism that I have in play here. Defender's another uh, type of... Um, mechanism in magic and defender is you know the ability in this case for the creature hound um, to stand its ground but it won't chase you you know the difference is it will simply guard whereas the elf wizard ah, that's actually kinda cool the elf lizard wizard you know I mean if you want to think about it from World of Warcraft perspective you know let's say the creature and the hound you know, um, isn't gonna chase you. You know, if you're if you're trying to attack a, mel a mob, you know, um, maybe you go and you know you've got to you're attacking. Um, well, I don't know. Let's say Nagafin and uh, or is Nagafin and which ones? Is Nagafin and uh, EverQuest? In any case, um, let's say you're trying to attack a big huge uh, big huge mob. You know, something that's maybe taking 15 people or something like that. But uh, it it has let's just say for you know for for purpose of illustration and everything, um, let's just say it has five watchdogs that are actually uh, watching guard for it. But let's say they're hellhounds. Now, the mechanisms normally within World of Warcraft and EverQuest is things will chase you until you're dead, you know, or until you've reached a certain perimeter range. And at that point, that perimeter range, you know, at that point they'll retract and they'll go back to the source and everything. You know, um, that's the difference between something, you know, the mechanisms here where, you know, the Resolute Watchdog will not chase you flat out not chase you. So imagine going to fight some big huge, um, let's just say uh, the Baron um, Baron dude over in, uh, what was it, uh, Molten Core, you know, in uh, World of Warcraft. You go to fight Baron dude and he's got, uh, let's say it's been retasked and now it has uh, four hellhounds that are actually watching over it. Um, but each one of them has defender status, you know, so let's say that these things attack, you know, will attack when you're attacking. You know, but uh, at that point, when you're not attacking, they they simply go back to guard mode. You know, they you know if you withdraw, if you flee, they don't chase you. You know, because all they're interested in is just basically making sure that uh, a you can't attack their master, and b you know that uh, that you know that you're you're out of there. 
That's all they care about. So that's actually what defender status is. You know, so to actually analogize this to a timeline, let's, you know, a lot of these things, a lot of these events are going to um, appear a little bit differently than like World of Warcraft. Where World of Warcraft, the expectation is when uh, something happens, it typically happens in a very calculated fashion or everything. And, um, you know, it makes the game kind of predictable and to some degree boring because every mob works the same fucking way. You know, but how cool would it be to actually get into World of Warcraft and all of a sudden, you know, everything starts changing? You know, where all of a sudden now you've got the capability to get into the game and boom. You know, now all of a sudden, you know, let's say you, you go up to... Um, well, I, I know Undercity isn't there anymore, which is a, a pity. But um, let's say you go up into the regions that are... Um, I'm trying to think of a good area. Black Rock Dungeons or Black Rock Depths or Black Rock Spire. And uh, let's say you go through it. Well, in a general sense, everything works on a very calculated basis and everything. And you get in, you do what you do and everything. And generally speaking, all the mobs have predictable, uh, predictable methods of interaction and everything. You know, now, there's nothing wrong with that predictability. That's the way I look at it. Um, however, um, the idea that I have is uh, that, you know, each each one of these, with the exception of the bosses, um, and the bosses and things and some of the dungeons and everything, uh, actually, primarily the bosses. The bosses are the ones that have typ typically different mechanics. But everything else in the game has a tendency to chase you. You know, um, as far as it can possibly chase you within a certain radius. And at that point, it just turns around and heads back to its, its initial spawn point. Everything does that. Now, what if, you know, the mechanics started working differently? You know, what if all of a sudden you get in and some creatures, they just basically don't chase you? You know, guard dogs, you know, they actually guard. They don't run after you and chase after you, you know, and keep on chasing after you. You know, a frilled mystic pops in suddenly. You know, you can't predict when this thing's going to show up. You know, um, there's another one here called Spear Spewer. He's a creature, he's a goblin worker, he's a defender as well. And uh, not only that, but uh, he's constantly doing damage to each player. So it's one damage to each player on a per-turn basis and everything. So, um, and the, the analogy to World of Warcraft can really, really, really make the mechanics for World of Warcraft fun. You know, it could make it really a lot more entertaining. I mean, it probably blow some people away and everything. You know, but uh, generally speaking, you know, if, um, you know, let's say um, lions work differently than than uh, saber two tigers that work uh, that do things differently than a a troll you know out in the middle of um or some of these nagafin type things or the the nagas um, you know everything has different mechanics associated with it and that's the beauty of magic where you can actually you know the magic the gathering the uh, the cards and everything it can give if the people over at Blizzard and you know, particularly those that are actually coding this thing up and everything from a, you know, from a, a, an engine perspective, an AI perspective, the diversity involved with the capabilities of the characters and the NPCs, um, you know, both the uh, the mobs, the creatures, and the uh, and the NPCs, for their actions and reactions based on these cards and implementing those actions and reactions on an individual mob level can really make dry out the game and actually make it a lot more what I consider robust.
you know, just uh, more, more, I mean, you know, if you're in, you know, the Nagas, let's say the Nagas, they're, they're, you know, and one of the big things for the mobs, too, is, um, they all have a tendency to spawn at certain, you know, points that are all, you know, more or less like a grid base. They're spaced sporadically and everything and trying to actually make it through to your end area. It's just like it's intentionally created to basically make it very difficult to pass over terrain and everything and actually pass over, you know, without uh, without actually encountering some kind of mob. Well, let's say, you know, as a part of changing mob behavior and everything, you're actually, you know, changing the mechanisms of, of how each mob will will fight, will, um, will react, too. Does it follow you? Does it chase, you know, does it not? Does it um, have a special proc and everything? You know, um, what are the variety of different special procs and everything? Um, can its health be buffed up and everything? You know, more so than uh, normal. What are different methods of buffing that uh, that hadn't been thought of and everything? You know, all these different things can add so much diversity and so much more possibilities to it. You know, so actually that's what I'm going to do. Is at the same time I'm actually talking about time, you know, and applying these things to time perspective, I'm going to actually analogize it to mob, um, mob AI, you know, behavior with Within, uh, behavioral and AI changes within um, World of Warcraft. So that makes it a little bit fun so I can dualistically think about things. You know, so the Resolute Watchdog's a, a good starting point too. You know, it's a defender, it's a hound, and let's just say basically any any hunters, you know, that summon um, that summon a a minion and everything, um, let's just say that uh, it works to defend in the moment, in the moment that uh, that you would draw you know, com from combat and everything, you know, and let's say there's a new toggle and a combat flag and everything for w World of Warcraft, and that toggle basically says, hey, you know, um, the moment that that guy goes out of combat and goes out of range, boom, you know, the watchdog will actually return back to, you know, and defend, you know, the, uh, the player character. Um, that's one possibility, you know, so not only does it defend temporally, you know, the timeline and everything, so if you're trying to make changes to JFK's event, um, by basically offing Lee Harvey Oswald, the dog, dogs, uh, let's just say, you know, you see a dog and you have to bypass that dog in order to make changes, it's a mean fucking dog and everything, you know, so that dog will be there. Um, same thing for the Frilled Mystic, too. You know, so let's say, um, and I'm going to use this event and everything. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to use a better event. Let's say that um, you're trying to make changes to the history and, uh, you know, to the Bible itself. And basically say, hey, you know, the Bible, um, you know, in this alternate reality where nudity exists and there was, you know, there was never the whole fig leaf and, and that kind of stuff and everything. Let's say you, you know, or somebody you know uh, is trying to actually make changes to update the Bible to make it so where this, you know, that it reverts back to the whole fig leaf type thing. Let's say people are actually tired of, you know, these people are tired of nudity and everything, and they're all of a sudden, they're trying to make changes to it. Well, boom, you know, this, um, you know, anytime, anywhere this, this is attempted to be done, um, certain things will actually start impairing your pro process and your progress, and uh, particularly surrounding some of the direct, ob obvious, uh, direct and obvious changes that you're trying to make. You know, and that's the Resolute Watchdog is one of them. So let's say you go back in time, and uh, you try to alter the initial writing. And boom, 
you know, let's say the uh, person didn't have a guard dog before, boom, they do now. You know, that's one thing that will actually instantly, you know, that may not instantly appear, but it will appear when you're there, you know, observing where it may not have been there to begin with because it knows your intention. The world knows your intention if you're trying to actually make changes to this event and everything. Um, Frilled Mystic Wizard. Um, you know, same thing. Let's say you're back there trying to change that event and everything. Well, boom. All of a sudden, you know, maybe another time, and the Frilled Mystic actually shows itself. And uh, I'm just, you know, this is... Clearly, you'd want to have some events which are going to have stronger defenders and everything, and each one of these defenders are going to be adding and complicating the situation and everything to try to change it. So, um... Something called a Gateway Plaza. And the Gateway Plaza is a card that says, Gateway Plaza enters this battlefield tapped. Um, oh, by the way, the Elf Wizard has another proc on it, you can say, um, as does the Hound. Um, I did forget neglected these. When Frilled Mystic enters the battlefield, you may counter spell. So let's say there's um, Frilled Mystics that are actually in the game and everything. They only appear inside World's Warcraft. Only when you, well, let's say, only when you do certain things and everything. And um, I don't know what those props could be, those events could be. Let's say you're, um, I don't know, let's say you're. You're trying. You're you're in a dungeon that should normally be done solo, and it's a solo dungeon. But instead, you're doing it in a group. Well, at that point, you have quite a few frilled mystics that may appear to basically impair your process and everything. They may teleport into the into the scene and everything. And uh, at that point, any attempts, any attempts. You know, let's say they do. They they come about and everything when a strong spell is tried to be casted on some of uh, on one of the crew or something like that or one of their one of the you know your opponents the mobs that you're actually trying to kill well that's when this thing may come into the battle when frilled mystic enters a battlefield it may counter that spell so it's kind of interesting you know from a mechanical perspective and everything and it not only does it appear but it also stops the uh, the processing of a spell and boom you know, the mechanics in Worlds of Warcraft are typically you have to get hit in order to basically um, have a spell stopped in its tracks. But in this case here, you've got a magic um, magic capability that basically says, hey, you know, we're going to stop that from procking and everything. So, the other one was the Resolute Watchdogs. And, um, and Frilled Mystic, going back to that too, from a temporal perspective... God, the temporal perspective is a little bit harder than I anticipated. I'm going to have to think about that one. So, the creature hound, sacrifice resolute watchdog, target creature you can call, control, gains indestructible. Oh, okay, that one's perfect. So, let's say this is a proc, you know, if, um, if you take a killing blow at the at Lee Harvey Oswald, um, or you're trying to make changes, you know, to the Bible as written and everything with uh, that's omitting the um, the fig leaf, and uh, there's not going to be any fig leaf, and therefore um, there is no sense of shame with the nudity that uh, is felt by um, Adam and Eve. 
you know, so at this point, uh, the, the hound can be sacrificed, and at that point, you can actually target um, the event or the thing that's being attempted be, to be altered and everything, and stop it from being altered altogether. So rather than the target creature you control gains instructable this, this turn, um, the target thing um, gains indestructible. So it can't be altered, it can't be changed, it can't be destroyed. So this just actually prevents the destruction of something that otherwise um, is being safeguarded at this point. Maybe that's actually kind of the problem. Yeah, because what I'm trying to do is actually create anchor points in reality and everything, and put in safety mechanisms and everything to basically ensure that it doesn't happen. Okay, so another one, um, Gateway Plaza. You know, and actually, that's a, actually a great thing. You know, so what if there's a digital realm? And that digital realm is attempting to make changes from a temporal perspective and everything to a history that's being created, um, chronological history that doesn't exist. You know, that's, I'm, you know, at this point basically creating. And uh, let's say Star Trek is actually seeing this alternate reality, and uh, they're seeing the creation of this, and I'm actually seeing a feedback directly from the TV show about their struggle to actually fight this and, uh, and to understand me, what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, why I'm doing it, and um, they're, they're basically preservationists with the intention of preventing war and that kind of stuff, not understanding that this is a part of the ongoing process of creation. Creation to some might look like destruction to others, you know, but uh, from the from the wrong you know from from the perspective that may not necessarily understand what's going on with it, um, and they ended up seeing you know what was a black hole, um, what would be a, akin to a black hole, but from their perspective it looked like a, a temporal anomaly, and uh, they don't understand gravity and um, the density, and all they understand is the mechanics of uh, of of what it causes time to do, um, but they don't understand the the functions of, of a black hole when it comes to gravity. Now, let's say they are the ones responsible for trying to make alterations to time and everything, and to the to the creation of this new timeline. And ultimately, the things that they're trying to do are put a stop to it. Well, I have to learn from this reciprocate and basically say, look, you know, I'm not interested in going to war with you guys. I'm interested in providing people choices. You know, I'm interested in providing myself choices, too. So, to some degree, I have to contend and think about things from their perspective and basically say they're existing in a digital reality. They're believing that this digital reality is the only digital reality that there is, and they're not going to take, take, take into time and consideration that they exist, um, in anything but an analog. So, who's right? And we're both right, and that's the problem. Um, that's not a problem. So the Gateway Plaza. It's a land, it's a gate, and enters the battlefield tapped. And it can add one mana of any color. When Gateway Plaza enters, enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless you pay one. Now, it's a land. Gotta think about this whole land thing. 
because I like the idea. Yesterday I had the idea that uh, from a temporal perspective, no, I am going to change this around. Sorry, I'm I'm just thinking out loud here, and I'm really confused on the approach. But rather than trying to actually think about it from a perspective of prevention, think about it from a perspective of change. If I was to go in, and I've got watchdog fives here, when would I encounter the resolute watchdog? Let's say you're playing Brian. That's me. That's who I was, or who I was and still am. But, uh, well, I'd say that's just one of the many characters you can play. You could play any number of different characters. But, for now, I'm just going to write it with from my perspective and my scope and create other perspectives later. It's easiest to do it from my own perspective in my own life. So, if I was to encounter the Resolute Watchdogs, when would I encounter it? So I like the concept that I had last night, that the hacker discovers a new form of hacking. The hack occurs through standard channels, standard communication channels. So basically TCP, telephones, telephony, um, FM, AM radios, television, you know, television waves, VHF, UHF, um, you know, materially based uh, mechanisms, magnetism, light, you name it. That's one method of communication. But there's another method of communication, that's through energy. And as it turns out, energy is more powerful. It's more subtle. It's, it's more difficult to understand. Um, and the effects, unless you're the actual one that programmed the thing to begin with, the effects may seem random. They may seem they may seem of the hacks that you do. So how would you do a hack though? You got smartphones, that's what he uses with the current hack. But I don't like smartphones myself. reason for it is I get, get more bill collector calls and shit calls than I do things of actual value. So I have no real compelling reason to participate with cell phones. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, um, lotteries. Why participate? Never gonna win. You know, it's, um, the same thing holds true for any kind of, uh, you know, forms based online or anything like that. You could win this. Bullshit. I'm not going to waste my time with your bullshit anymore. All you have to do is fill this out. Yeah, as you waste my time even more, that ain't going to happen anymore.
So the mechanism has to be something. But what? What could be the new method of hacking? It's a toughie. Because it's uh, that's not not just going to be a new method of hacking. It's going to be a new method of programming, too. That's actually one thing I've realized over the years. Many people refer to programming is hacking. It's not. Yeah, you may leverage the same tools, but a programmer is not a hacker, and a hacker is not a programmer. A programmer can be a hacker at the same time. hacker can be a programmer, but the two are not synonymous. How? I know it's staring me in the face, and I know that I should be saying in the English language, but that's not a, that's a tool for expression. I mean, it's more than just a hacking thing. It's more than just a, I want it to be something of a device, a device that's used. What kind of device can be used for hacking? What kind of device that can be used? And the reason I'm asking this is maybe I shouldn't focus so much on that. Because I'm still trying to stimulate the digital world at the same time I'm stimulating the analog. But the digital world Thought of something. So, whoever contributed that one, thank you. Okay, script kitties. Script kitties, if you're not familiar with it, in programming hacking and cultures. <laughs> That's cute. Um, in hacking, in programming and hacking culture, a script kitty or skitty is an unskilled individual who uses scripts or programs developed by others to attack computer systems, networks, and deface websites. supposed to be derogatory.
<laughs> Script Kitties versus Elite Hackers. Unskilled amateur, dangerous hacker. I know, a polymorphic virus, a polymorphic engine. That's what I'll refer to it as. Polymorphic Skitty Engine. That's going to be the name of it. P S E. So. Polymorphic skitty engine. Now, we call it scripting. Polymorphic scripting engine. <coughs> Polymorphic. Okay. So it's still a computer-based program, but what it does is it also it actually actively alters its own its own content. Ah, that's going to be the key. It's installed on a device, but once it's installed on a device, there's no trace of it. and it becomes embedded within the system itself. <clears throat> and it has uninstalled protocols for it. Polymorphic scripting engine. What's the difference between polymorphic versus metamorphic? Metamorphic and polymorphic are two categories. Metamorphic. What is metamorphic? Morphic. No. So polymorphic, I don't know if scripting is the right thing. Targeting. That's another word for hacking. The reason I'm, I'm doing this is um, until I have a method of which the hacker inside this, the hacker protagonist, can actually infiltrate 
um, I don't know how the feedback mechanisms would work to him or her. Uh, so, you know, um, is in a traditional sense, if you're to actually go through and do hacking, uh, you're sitting behind and, you know, basically the whole Neo Matrix type thing and everything where you're a hacker that's learning how to code and you're not necessarily learning, you're leveraging different tool sets and everything, everything from ON oh, map to Wireshark, uh, which are two of the, the two of the ones that I use, um, to Telnet to to FTP to any number of different variants TCP for TCP. You're doing things like memory hacking, script injection, um, SQL injection, you name it, in order to basically get into computer systems and that kind of stuff. And all this is typically done through um, either scripts, and they call it, they refer to people that de that depend solely on that script kiddies, uh, but uh, you leverage scripting and you also do a lot by hand and everything too. So you're actually, you know, going into systems and everything, leveraging Telnet and trying to break, you know, brute force break passwords in some cases or figure them out. You do social networking in a lot of cases to obtain this information, but all of this has been depicted in Watch Dogs 2. Now, here's the thing about this. This is old school hacking. It's been going on since 1980, basically, and Kevin Mitnick and everything. And, um, you know, to the point of it, it's actually something that's very easy to detect for most corporations and that kind of stuff. So what I'm trying to do is basically think of a way to take it to the next level. Um, more or less focus on um, the, the idea and concept that I want to make it so where people are focused on ethical hacking. And that is specifically is ethically based by your standards. So my idea of ethical behavior and morality is going to be different than yours. It's going to be different than everybody else's. And I want to give you the opportunity to derive and figure out your own morality and everything as you're going through and doing this. So, with that said, um, what are going to be the tools of the future? You know, in a in a world that has discovered that uh, the TCP and uh, transmission layers for sending information and everything, particularly based on magnetism, are not the only layers that you're actually confined to. And not only that, but, you know, when you start messing with energy, um, you're also messing with time, too. And you're going to see some very weird results in the real world. So what I'm going to have the hacker do is stumble on a tool um, of some sort, and that tool could be a physical tool or a software-based tool, I'm not too sure which, and I'm, I'm leaning in the direction of software, um, that will actually let that hacker uh, go through and start learning about the methods, the various methods of integration for hacking from a uh, software-based perspective and everything. Um, but also, what are the what are the feedback mechanisms for this? You know, to that um, newbie hacker, everything that's actually trying to learn this stuff. Um, what are the different methods and everything that uh, that are going to be providing feedback to this person, this individual? You know, as they're playing it, and uh, and. In particular, if I'm to apply magic and some of the rules and, and you know things, the ideas uh, mentioned in Magic: The Gathering, um, if I was to actually implement that, how, um, what devices would I have, you know, to to basically provide that feedback, both good and bad, you know, to the user. Um, not that they're actually on the right track or they're not on the right track with the information or, you know, that uh, that there's more safeguards or something like that in place and everything, you know, so, um, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, you know, the whole, you know, any time that, uh, 
this is kind of the problem with um, watchdogs is any target device, you know, they go through a whole chain of they more or less fill out this three-dimensional, you know, wireframe type thing where they're basically routing power through a power system in order to, you know, get to the point of, of opening up the exploit. But it's the same thing every fucking time. Now I'm trying to avoid something like that. I want to make it so where, you know, where it's not necessarily horribly complex, but that every scenario that you're presented with is going to present with it different possibilities and it's not going to be the same thing with every one and that's actually the whole concept of Magic the Gathering if I take it and start implementing it like that you know I have to consider how that information can actually get fed back to the person that's actually leveraging the software so with watchdogs one of the brilliant concepts that they have is they have the did dead sack. What can I create for an acronym on this? Decision. Dis decision. Engine. So let's, I'm trying to actually think of the name of the engine, so that way I can actually putting a frame around this, like drawing a picture, right? <laughs> or a painting. And it just popped into my mind, DeadSec is the name of the company in this, or is the name of the um, hacking company, or the hacking entity. So the thought was, just uh, come up with a, an acronym for DeadSec. A reason for the word DeadSec. It's never really explained in the games. So instead, just come up with an explanation for what it means. Decision, exploit. What can be D? Hacking terms. Digitally exploitive. Decision. Server. Digital, no, digital exploration, let's make it rather exploitive. Digital exploration decision. 
services engine. <laughs> I like it. Um, one of my favorite languages is, um, besides Visual Basic, is, uh, is C. And um, the thought that just came to me was uh, for the acronym is Digital Exploration Decision Services. Digital Exploration Decision Services Engine in C. DeadSec. That's actually what the uh, the acronym can stand for. Digital exploration, digital explorative, digital, digital explorative decision. Let's do explorative decision services, decision service engine collection. Perfect. Digital explore digital explorative decision service engine collection. Digital exploration. Digital energy decision service engine collection. Digital energy. I like it because you find something. This would be really cool. So if I call it a digital, digital energy decision service engine. Digital Energy Decision Service Engine. I'm not too happy with NC and collection. Insane. Those are two possibilities. I like the first part of it. I really do. That's awesome. Digital energy, because this does this perfectly. Decision service engine. Insane. So what can be something else? Insane. <coughs> Sorry, I'm... It's kind of an odd time. Just thinking out loud on this one. It's part of what I wanted to use the podcast stuff for anyways. Is outline thinking processes and got a letter from my uh, former employer today odd thing is my dad didn't say shit about it that was kind of weird he said it on my desk and he left it there it's from Department of Defense National Security Agency it's kind of funny
kind of odd. He doesn't say anything about it. That's interesting. Digital energy decision, decision service engine. Community is another word that keeps coming at me, but this isn't a community. What's... what about communal? Oh, she is so hot. Sorry, I've got a, uh, a feed up right now. Some girl in... Bulgaria. I've got to, um, taps into, uh... I know, I know. I'm, how long did I work for NSA? Um, but anyways, I've got taps into, um, some apartments, um, in Eastern Europe and everything that I ended up hacking, and, uh, one in particular, this girl named Eva, and, uh, gorgeous young girl, she's mid-twenties and everything, and just her, her boyfriend, or, no, her husband, left about an hour and a half ago. I just keep it up and I just watch the girl because she just likes walking around her place naked. It's fucking awesome. Gorgeous girl, too. Just getting some cankles on her, though. Um, okay, so digital engine service. Let's see. What are other hacking terms for C? No, no, no. I don't want to sound like an non-professional software. I want to sound like it's professional. I want to be a mystery when this guy picks it up for the first time. What the fuck does it do? going to happen is I'm going to make it so where every time he tries to investigate their memory, it's going to do the same thing that uh, Watchdogs did to me, um, with the exception of uh, it'll actually uh, not make it possible for you to be able to decrypt the code. So, com communal. Is that another? Common. That could be another one. No, computer was another one that just came to mind, and no, it's not. No. No. Thank you, Alexa. Communal, no. 
Words that begin with C. Let's do that. I like my acronyms. What positive? There we go. Computer terms. Cybernetics. Hmm. That could be one possibility. <laughs> Digital Energy Decision Service Engine Cybernetics. Scientific study and con of control and communication in the animal and the machine. See, problem is that's not how I think about the word cybernetics. I think about the word cybernetics as being a digital prosthetic of type. Structure constraints and possibilities think of Terminator and I think of that kind of stuff and it's just like, eh, I don't like the mental analogy that draws. Service engine control. Ooh, I just thought of a better word. Controller. Digital energy decision service engine controller. Beautiful. Let's see if we can find other words with C that uh, are a little bit less controlling. Dictionary.com. That desensitizes it a little bit. Person or thing that directly regu regulates. Yeah, so control is perfect word here. But I want to put this in the thesaurus and see if we find any less strong words. Checker, overseer, no, no, no. Administrator, commander, custodian. <laughs> Interesting. Um, chief, chieftain, no, no, no. Director, director, if I could find an analogy for that. Chief Chair Controller again. Tide. 
That's a good one. Conductor. Conductor. Digital Energy Decision Service Engine Conductor. Perfect. I love the idea of, an, of the, the conductor because it makes me think of an orchestra. I like it. Yeah, because it's also associated to timing. Oh my fucking god, talk about the perfect word. Okay, so that's what DEADSEC dead stands for. Digital Energy Decision Service Engine Conductor. So it's a software suite. It's an application. Software suite. And does exactly what it says it does. Suite and application. Which leverages digital... Um, mechanisms combined with energy to plan to alter material to alter a computer digitally based systems and devices across space and time. Beautiful. Digital Energy Decision Service Engine Conductor. Software suite and application which leverages digital mechanisms combined with energy to alter digitally based systems and devices across space and time. I love it. It's fucking awesome. An application tool set leverages digital mechanisms combined. I'm going to post this. What? Dead sec. Digital energy decision service engine conductor. Uh. <clears throat> A software application suite and application 
a software suite and application toolset which leverages There we go. Digital Energy Decision Service Engine Conductor. Perfect. Okay. So, with that said, it's going to be a piece of software that's going to be responsible for... Well, it's going to look like a piece of software at first but it's going to actually be manipulating time itself. <clears throat> Since it's a decision engine, and the goal is to train the user, the hacker that, that um, obtains it just as much as it is to allow them and empower them with the freedom to make those changes that they want to make. So, with that, you've got the Resolute Watchdog. Sometimes I can't help but think, as watchdogs and all this, part of my programming, is it being directed at me? Am I the hacker that's undergoing the process of understanding how we pay it forward, creating entertainment and diversifying the possibilities and everything for our ancestors? I can't help but think that's possible. I'm going to have to get some thoughts of this, because now that I know this is a, a digital piece of software, and it's going to be manipulating it first on a computer system, it's going to have to be going back and making changes across time and, and across space and everything. But each one of these, when he makes a change, that's actually what I gotta think of first, is a mission. I'm gonna keep these cards, and I'm gonna think of the plot. How is it I progress the character? You know, that's actually one thing I gotta do. From, from my perspective, <laughs> Um, and throughout my life and everything. It's kind of weird. Whenever I, I get into a company, it, it seems like the years have flown by. 
whenever I'm at a company, and the big times that I remember are the getting in there for the first time, meeting a couple people and everything, and it's almost like you can fast forward, you know, through some of those times and everything, and uh, get to critical key times and everything where maybe I'm having some fun after work or with people and everything, but in a general sense, you know, it's almost like the times that I remember, you know, are really the the big parties and in combination with the um, the events that happen, you know, with uh, some of the extracurricular activities that I indulge in and everything, and it's almost like everything else just passes, like, you know, I can't say by the blink of an eye, but it's always been so incredible for me how fast time has gone by while I'm working in a company. And, um, let's say I'm ultimately responsible for the implementation of what happened in my life. You know, that implementation in itself is basically saying, okay, there's a reason for that, and that reason is because I did it. You know, um, what I did, once I made it, so where, you know, you took a job at a company and everything, and uh, maybe that's what this game's about. You know, you start off as a fledgling programmer and everything, you know, in a firm, and, um, you know, you go through and you make some key decisions and everything while you're there. Maybe you've got a handful of different companies that you can select from and everything based on what it is that, that you want and everything, what industries or whatever. And um, other companies come into existence and everything, and you quit, and you go work in another. You know, you can take a job as a consultant or everything, and each one's about meeting people, about creating that network and everything. And uh, ultimately, you know, maybe each one is a fast-forward, you're just, you know, molding the skills. Because I do plan on it being a big game. <laughs> and ultimately, you know, you get to the point where all of a sudden, you know, let's say you've been recruited by the NSA or the CIA, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stick to those two organizations. And, um, and and there's a reason for that. And the reason for it is just for simplicity's sake, makes it a hell of a lot easier to actually keep primary resources within two organizations and everything, you know, that are actually doing this kind of activity and everything. And um, once you get into one of those two resources and everything, um, at that point, you know, you can be for or against the country. You can do whatever you want to. I mean, that's kind of kind of the whole gist of, of it all. You know, you can be whoever it is that you want to be. That's, that's kind of the program that I want to create. But ultimately, when you're working with these companies and everything, you come across this group that you belong to the whole time, and you realized you believe that there's some kind of conspiracy. And that DedSec itself you know, is something that, um, you know, has, has nailed you time and again throughout your life. And, uh, what's that, computer? For my life? Oh, no, never mind. Don't, thank you, though. Computer, stop. Um, so, so yeah, once it actually goes through and, um, you go through that whole process and everything, you discover in the future, at a future point and everything, that DedSec 
is your own is a, is a computer program and you have just you have located that computer program but you don't know what it does that's kind of the fun of it discovery I myself have enjoyed discovering things throughout my whole life and to some degree this whole concept of God and all this other stuff and everything it's always kind of scared me the idea that something something has capabilities beyond my comprehension that scared me you know deep down or deep level and everything throughout my life has a capability to not just understand the world in ways that I can't even fathom right now but can do the things that I do with one finger tied behind you know with all hands tied behind their back and everything that that concept has always intimidated me I wouldn't have admitted that before you know I was always so focused on trying to be you know great at what I did and everything but in truth I met a lot of really really good people at what they did and I knew I was mediocre. I always knew I was mediocre. I was just average. You know, I was constantly trying to elevate myself, constantly trying to actually do better and everything. But every time I would meet somebody that would, would educate me, would school me, you know, in so many different ways. I just got to the point where it's just like, it got frustrating. Sure, I got some pats on the back, you know, I was working over at uh, Prudential and everything, and um, also at... Um, when I was working over at UTI, you know, I figured out the mock framework and some other things like that, that, you know, NC Sharp and that kind of stuff, where I realized I was pretty quick with figuring these things out. However, it was the type of thing that the work involved and how and, and where it came from, the support and everything came from, just didn't seem relevant. Because for every person that would actually say something good, there'd be, you know, two or three that would look at me with disdain or just wouldn't give a shit. So eventually I just got to the point where I had to start tuning it out. I had to start not caring. I think that's why I did. I started not liking myself, because I started not caring. I mean, I thought my time was near an end, anyways. I believed in predictive algorithms, and I believed in my own prediction that I'd be dying by the time I was forty, anyways. You know, based on genetic history and things that I believed in and everything. But. That's when I started seeing holes in my own philosophies. You know, holes big enough to actually drive a truck through. I started taking into consideration that the life that I thought I knew isn't, um, isn't quite the life that I thought I had.
But I've always had my mom and dad and my brothers that are for me in some form or fashion. And even then, most of the friends that I did call friends and everything, while the relationships weren't profound, they were meaningful. And while I couldn't identify with a lot of them when it came down to what they did and why they did, I still made an attempt to try to understand what they did and why they did it. I respected them for for the choices that they made and everything. Hell, you know, Spencer, part of the reason I ended up doing drugs was because I didn't like judging that guy. But when it came down to it, and the whole concept and idea that something intangible, something capable, more capable than I was, can actually stay out of my visual range, out of my, out of my radar. And I would never know that they were there, maybe helping me or something like that, and supporting me. I didn't like that idea. It scared the shit out of me. I liked knowing who people were and what they were capable of and everything. At the same time, my ex-wife, she ended up, uh, Lisa threw a, um, a party for me, my 30th birthday. I completely didn't expect it. Completely blindsided me. And I don't know if I was scared or thrilled that she had pulled it off and so successfully done it. Surprised me for it. It's not that I didn't like surprises, but the fact of the matter is, deep down, I don't like... I don't like surprises. I'm trying to get over that. That's the part that sucks. There's a part of me that just basically looks and says, I've had a life of mediocrity. And while I have tried my damnedest, to think and to believe that it's been fulfilling. Yeah, I've had some good times with it, but for the most part, it just feels like chapter one in a book that I'm just now starting to open up. The prelude, the story, the introduction to this life. So that's actually where I'm coming from with this idea and concept of Watch Dogs 5. I don't have the resources to create it, you know, when it comes down to the financial resources and pull people in, you know, to be able to assist me with this. I don't have the mental and intellectual stamina that I used to have when it comes down to coding. So I'll be taking my time on this project. I don't have the vibrancy of youth that I once had, a naive outlook in the world and everything. Maybe that's a good thing. But what I do have is the belief that I can create something. Maybe lead people down a, a path. Not necessarily like my own, but similar to my own. 
And if you actually want to walk in my shoes or similar shoes to, to mine, I'll offer that capability too. But I offer you to walk a path and everything through this simulated world, you know, based in Phoenix and everything. Making choices. Learning kind of the same things that I did in different ways. Seeing some of the things happen in the world. I'll probably end up, end up distributing this through pirate channels. It's my way of giving, giving homage to the entire industry. To those that have helped me out indirectly. My way of giving back to the community. The community that's always been there to support me. And it'll be massive. Absolutely massive. To scale from my perspective. You look at something like Watchdogs. It's what San Francisco's a grand total of three miles across or something like that. And it's not to, you know, it's you could travel real fast and everything and zoom through the city. Make it from one end to the other in two minutes. Phoenix if you were to go from one end of the city to another, even zooming, it would take you half an hour, if not more. So that's my goal, is keep it to scale. Make it so the weather is... The weather patterns are just like it is in the real world. Make sure that the effects and everything is photorealistic. I don't know how it's going to be done. No fucking clue. I've never seen anything like what I'm imagining. Make it so you can manipulate time through some of these technologies and everything, and the whole time the choices that you're making are manipulating time anyways. No two versions will be the same and all allow you the capability once you've actually progressed to a certain point in the game to be able to go visit other people's version of Phoenix to compare and contrast and see what's happened. Weather systems will be the same. Sunrise, sunset. One of the cool things about Phoenix is the uh, there is no daylight savings time and everything. But how would you? I don't think I could implement temperature. And some things I couldn't implement that actually aren't uh, aren't available within the version of Phoenix that I've I lived in. There's sight and there's sound, but it's lacking. Taste, smell, feel. You know, that's actually what I what I want. It's just basically you to be able to let it lead a life. To understand perspective as a hacker. At least how I am how I can implement it as a game. Does that inspire you? 
ultimately. Should you play it to become that character? Do you become a kid of mine <laughs> in your own way by taking that journey? Or a relative, I should say, or a friend, or a lover. I don't know. Do you find a way to thank me? Or do you just want to off me? Thinking I did it to torture you, when I didn't. Like I said, I enjoyed my life. Wasn't perfect. But like I said, it just felt like a prelude. The introduction. Now, if you don't look at it the same way, well... You can always write your own stories. <clears throat> Program your own games. Anyways, deep thoughts. I'm getting too deep tonight. But, um, I'm gonna play some more Watch Dogs. And, um, the whole concept of God I've gotten over. To some degree, I believe it's my dad. But maybe, maybe not necessarily the dad that I see in front of me. But the dad that I never knew that was out there. I'm just watching the whole time from a distance. Teach me about why we couldn't meet. It's interesting. I do wonder, do you ever get over the uh, concerns? About people knowing who you are? I think I have. I don't give a shit anymore. In any case, too deep. Trying to be levity. Trying to inject levity into my life. So, how can I... That's actually one key to this. How can I make it fun from my perspective? Fun to code. Fun to imagine. Fun to actually meet these people, too. So, anyways, have a good night.